documented 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. As Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Today on the podcast, I have a special treat for people. Um, I had one of the great honors in my UFO career to have known quite well Angela Joyner. It is four months ago today that Angela and her husband Randall died from COVID in Texas. And as a reporter in Texas, Angela reported right up to the last day before she left the world. I knew her and Randall very well. Um... And today I'm going to play um, Angela's story. This may be the only time or one of the only times she ever told her story. Uh, I was good friends with uh, Lou Farish at the Ozark Conference, which is still going on. It's one of the big, better conferences in America. And he had invited Angela in April of 2008 to come and tell the story of the Stephenville sightings. They occurred in January, starting in January of um, 2008. And in what you're going to hear, the lecture that she gave at Ozark a couple of months after the event, she tells the whole story and it it can get very touching as she describes being fired by the newspaper for standing up for the UFO witnesses. I always told Angela that... um, it would have cost her in this lifetime, but 500 years from now, her great-great-great-great-grandchildren will be very proud that she, that she was related. In 2010, I went to Angela's um, home. I had hired her to write the presidential book for me. And I was there for about two weeks, and um, it, didn't, it didn't work out. We really didn't get much done. But we did do the Obama chapter. So if that book ever comes out, um, Angela basically wrote the Obama chapter. We sat down in one day and did the entire chapter. It went on for hours. And I got to work as a reporter with her and work on it. During that um, uh, visit, I suddenly realized, listening to Angela's speech as I uh, got it from the tape that Lou gave me, that... um, she talks, and you'll hear her talking about the jet fighters and the, 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 all the incidents of the jet fighters and dealing with the military. And when she was talking about that, I suddenly realized that I had had a sighting at Angela Joyner's house. Uh, we had been, I can't remember exactly, and hopefully I've got some notes somewhere. Um, 
Angela and I were in the house, and Randall was worked at the university. He was um, a maintenance guy, fixed things, elevator mechanic, uh, just general do everything there. And I believe Randall had come home from work, and he called us out of the house. This is daylight. And there was an object, and I don't remember exactly what it looked like, but it was very clear, because uh, I'm not really into UFO sightings, but this is very clearly something very unusual. And we were looking at it in the sky, and um, it was there for a couple minutes, then it started flying towards Dallas, and seconds later, two jet, it was either one jet fighter or two jet fighters came out, and I, <laughs> I was just taken, I was like, Wow. And then um, other jet fighters came from, the the object moved into the north, and these jet fighters came from the south, and then a couple of minutes later there was jet fighters coming in from the, uh, from the west. So I just remembered that today, and hopefully somewhere I've got notes as to what that thing looked like. But it was, it was one of the more unusual sightings that I've ever seen. It, they were very excited by it. Randall, because Randall had never, he'd been a very big supporter of Angela because Angela was basically uh, working a lot on UFOs, taking phone calls, stuff like that. And Randall didn't have any sort of involvement, but he was very, very supportive of her. Uh, very calm, just whatever she wanted, he went along with it. So I met Angela at the Ozark Conference, and um, I can still remember they had the um, memorial in Washington for when they had the... Um, the 400,000 dead, and they lit up the lights around the uh, Washington, around the pond, and it was very touching to me to think back on Angela because I, Angela, and her husband had actually walked around that entire um, reflecting pond on the Washington Mall. So here's Angela. This is uh, perhaps the only time she ever told the story. It was a couple months after it happened. And she goes through the entire Stephenville, Texas story, which became famous. She was on CNN, on, on Larry King. Uh, there was reporters coming from all over the world. It was a major, major story. But it was a story that the local newspaper just could not handle in the end. And they just didn't want any more of it. So in honor of Angela, thank you. Uh, here's Angela Joyner telling the story about the Stephenville sightings. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly of your UFO reporting been around long enough to know there's plenty of the bad. I don't know about the good and the ugly. But when you heard about Stephenville, Texas, you heard about one reporter, and that was Angela Joyner. So I'm going to let her tell you what really happened. Thank you. It has been good, and it has been bad, and it did get ugly. Um, I've lived in Stephenville most of my life. Um, like most kids do, they leave and they say, I'm never coming back. But, of course, I did come home after 12 years from about 19 or 20 to 32. But Stephenville is just uh, 65 miles southwest of Fort Worth. It's a small community, 16,000 people. And this is what Stephenville is known for. That gentleman over there on the right is Ty Murray, and Stephenville is called the cowboy capital of the world. Ty was seven-time world champion rodeo cowboy, and we have 
other rodeo cowboys, world champions like Tuff Hedeman, um, Harry Tompkins, several big names in rodeo. And we're also a very large milk producing county. And in the 90s, the high school football team, uh, were, they won the state championship about four years there. So Stephenville's been known for football, dairy cows, and cowboys. Then on January the 8th, something extraordinary happened in a little town outside of Stephenville, about 10 miles um, in a little community called Selden. I think they have a whole population of about 22. This is the man that started it all. He gave me, he called me on January the 9th. Um, somebody had said, you might want to call Angela Joyner if you really want to get something out there about what you've seen. She's open-minded and she's fair. And he told me that, and that made me feel good. Uh, we talked on the phone for quite a while. And of course, as always, I think in most cases, people that are about to tell you uh, that they've seen something, that they've had a sighting, they preface it with something like, I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but this is what I saw. And that's a lot of uh, how Steve approached me. Um, I'm still in contact with him, and he is a pilot, um, has been for many, many years, and he was uh, absolutely taken aback by what he had seen in Selden with three of his friends. So I wrote the story on January the 9th. It printed on January the 10th. This, uh, it wasn't the top story, but possible UFO sighting. And that headline went round and around the newsroom that evening. Some people were for having UFO in the headlines. Some people were not. Um, we talked about it a lot. And finally the publisher... Uh, went with me. I said, I want UFO in the headline, and she agreed. And uh, pretty much that day, that story was the talk of the town. Now, he was with three friends, and uh, they, they were all well-known in the community. Um, but he did call it an unidentified flying object, and because he's been a private pilot for more than 30 years, he has a little more experience judging airspeeds and distances than most, and that's just something I took out of that first story. The friends were, that were with him were Mike Odom, Claudette Odom, and Lance Jones, and it was actually on Mike Odom's property, and they had been working and were um, burning some brush, um, cleaning up some of the area, and uh, Mike's wife, Claudette, uh, was also a uh, airline stewardess at one time. And that day I called and talked to all of them. And the next day I started getting phone calls saying, hey, I saw something too. We had printed um, Steve's, Steve Allen's phone number. He definitely wanted people to call him, and boy, did he get the calls. We talked all day back and forth. Okay, I've had so-and-so call me. Who called you? Uh, we were trying to write them all down. It was just, it was incredible. 
So those are just a few headlines from some more stories. So the second day, um, I got the names of uh, several more witnesses, and I chose to write about four of them. One of them was a man that I had known for a number of years. Um, he was, uh, he is a home builder, a custom home builder, and uh, I was amazed that that he saw something. Um, the number of calls that were that was coming in was just incredible. And I kind of knew that second day, okay, this is really something. Then uh, Monday, that following Monday, uh, Angela Brown with the Associated Press called me and said, what's going on in Stephenville? And I told her I had known her from um, working the KKK rally the year before. And I kind of, I, I, I was a little uneasy there, so I kind of hung around her, and she kind of led the way for me. So uh, she said, I'm coming down, and uh, who can I talk to? I said, well, I've already talked to several people, but there's, there's one you might want to talk to I haven't been able to get to yet. And um, that, that was Ricky Sorrells. So after she wrote her story, it just went everywhere. It went all over the world, and so the UFO kind of overshadowed what Stephenville had been known for, and there were people there that were not just real happy about that. People started capitalizing on the event. This is one of the t-shirts that went around because we have the dairy cows. Um, one thing that was so great, though, was the science club designed a t-shirt at the high school, and in 10 days they made $4,000, and they were still working. Finally, the teacher told me, she said, Angela, I just had to cut it off. She said, I couldn't teach, and they couldn't learn. So, Leroy Gayton um, is the Erath County, that's the county we're in, Erath County Constable, Precinct 2. Um, he is an elected official. He did come forward, and I think that's very courageous of him. He, a, a lot of people wouldn't take that chance um, being elected, but he was very sure about what he saw. Uh, very, he was with his little boy, I think eight or nine years old. He even went inside to get his wife, said, you got to come out here and look at this, and she wouldn't come outside. She goes, oh, y'all are crazy, and uh, so she missed it. <laughs> But I, I, I still talk to Leroy a lot, and uh, he has uh, a dash cam video uh, of a sighting at a different time, and I've had a lot of questions about that video, and here's the thing. It's tied up simply because he was off duty when he used that camera, and there's some question as to, does it belong to Gayton? Does it belong to the county? And so they're trying to sort that out. And he said, even with the binoculars, there was no outline. It started moving towards Stephenville and moving so fast, I had trouble following it with my binoculars. It covered a big area. It sounds crazy, but we really saw what we saw. Here's another man that came forward. His name is James Hughes. 
He's a Vietnam veteran. He had some um, aeronautical experience, and he lived close to the square, which um, is, is quite a distance from Selden, about 10 miles. And he saw two glowing red lights. And he was with some friends. He just happened to be, they were leaving, going outside. He was walking to their car. He said, I don't know what it was that I saw while I was walking two friends to their car at my home. But as soon as I saw it, I jokingly said to them, hey, look, a UFO. I saw two red lights acting unusual. Well, then the Texas news crews started rolling in. And remember, at this time, I was the only full-time reporter. This is a very small paper. We had a half-time reporter, a sports writer, and me, editor, publisher, and then the ad salespeople. So my responsibility from day to day was to write two front, whoops, two, two front page stories, and I wasn't getting that done. I was getting one done. And we just thought it was going to die down, and then the military comes out with this uh, press release. Uh, because the military had told me they didn't have any planes in the area. Two weeks later, this got it all going again when they sent out this press release to the radio stations. Um, Major Carl Lewis, whom I had spoke, spoken with and uh, talked to on several occasions um, when all of this started happening, uh, when I told him that Steve Allen said it had F-16s chasing it, well, he said, I'll, I'll be glad to check it out for you. And uh, he called me back the next day and said, now, there wasn't any planes from our base, but they could have been from some other base. He said, I'll tell you what I think it was. And he said he thought it was two airliners that somehow the sunlight reflected off, and that's what they were seeing. So when this came out, the, how I found out about it was from a radio station. I can't remember the station, but the, the DJ's name was uh, BJ. And said, so we're calling you to get your take on this whole military backtracking. And they're backtracking on their statement. What do you think about that? I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I went immediately to the facts to see if I could fact something. I started saying, did y'all hear anything about this? So, um, Major Carl Lewis had given me his cell phone number, so I immediately started trying to contact him. It took a while, but he eventually did call me back, and uh, I said, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you send me the press release, something? And his whole demeanor had changed. Before he was a regular guy, you know, uh, will you email me the stories? And I did. And after that... Any question I would ask him, he would just say, Miss Joyner, I'm sorry, all I can say is. So it was definitely like he was reading something. I feel fairly certain that he had been reprimanded. He was just a totally, totally different man and not relaxed at all. So um, I, I feel like somebody must have said something to him that um, he could only read what was on that release. Um, the release said there were 10 F-16s in the air, and uh, the people in Stephenville, when I would ask them about it, could it have been jets, 
flying in a formation, you think, you know, the light, the lights could have been in formation and they were adamant that that is not what they saw. Um, Ricky Sorrells is the man that Angela Brown with Associated Press first interviewed, and if you saw it on the news, that's the man that her uh, video went all over the world on that interview. Now, I, did, I didn't even talk to Ricky at that time. The only time um, I talked to him was about two weeks later, and he came to me out of concern for my safety. He had talked to Leroy Gayton and uh, told Leroy some of the problems he was having. Um, he was having helicopters fly really low. He, um, he has a full-time job, but part of his income is livestock. And these helicopters were so low, they were actually disturbing his cattle, running them. Um, he had some un unusual phone calls. One man identified himself as a lieutenant colonel. Um, Rick couldn't believe all the phone calls he was getting, so he didn't. He wasn't writing it, writing everything down. He says he thinks the man told him his name, but he's not sure. But this man wanted to come and talk to him, and um, the conversation got a little heated when he told him no. He he wasn't. Uh, ready to accept visitors at his home. It was already about 8.30 at night, and, and he was kind of trying to put him off, and he had already done a bunch of interviews. And this man was really, really insistent to the point that Rick told me he got up, looked out his window to see if he might already be coming across the, the cattle guard. Um, the conversation continued in a more heated way, and... Uh, the man asked him to quit talking about what he was seeing. He said, if I quit talking, uh, will you quit flying those helicopters and scaring my cattle? And uh, he said, yes. And uh, it may be coincidence, but Rick said the helicopter traffic slowed, but the uh, planes didn't. But he came to me because he was concerned that if he was being harassed, that I might be harassed for writing about it. I wasn't concerned about it at all because I said, Rick, somebody is going to harass me. They know I'm going to write about it, so why would they bother? And uh, I did encourage him, though, to go ahead. I said, let's go ahead and get this out. Let's write this. I think that you'll you'll be better off if you're more public. And uh, he said, no. He, he kind of felt like he had had a bad experience with the Associated Press um, he didn't realize that within a couple of hours he was going to be on every news channel. I talked to Angela Brown. She didn't really realize that either. And um, it really disrupted his life. But he was frightened then, too, because he was concerned about his family. He's got two kids and a wife. And um, he said, no, I don't want to do any more interviews, any more stories. I just came here. To, to make sure that you, you know what's going on. I, I want you to be okay. And uh, that two weeks later, he went from being frightened to downright mad. And then he was ready to do the stories. So uh, all the phone calls that he had had a visitor in the middle of the night, um, you know, and he, he continually said, if you told me, a while back that I'd be sitting here talking about UFOs, I would have said, no way, not in a million years. 
He's just not a guy that was ever interested in these things. He says he'll always keep looking for it. But he had this visitor that came on his property about 1 o'clock in the morning. And he has, the way his house is configured, he has dog pens over here on one end and some more bird dogs on the other end. So he heard the dogs making a racket and uh, was kind of wondering what was going on. Got up, went to his back door that has some window panes in it, and he saw somebody standing there, and he said he seemed to be rocking. And uh, he said, Angela, I know this man meant for me to see him, because once the dogs started acting the way they were acting, anybody else would have thinking, been thinking, I'm going to be caught, take off. He said he didn't do that. He said he stood and looked right at me. And uh, he said he debated. He almost opened the door. He debated, what do I do? He was trying to see if there was somebody else with him, you know, looking this way and that through the glass. Couldn't see anything. And uh, almost opened the door, but thought about his sleeping family, and he did not. And then uh, Linda Moutenhow came to see him in uh, January, the end of January, I believe, or the first of February. And uh, when she was walking the property with him, he found that bullet, and he feels like that the man had dropped it accidentally. So only 10 days into it, um, I had already done some CNN interviews just by phone, and then uh, we were contacted, and we did this show with Larry King live, and uh, it, it was interesting. I, that was really nerve-wracking, and you can't see it there, but we were outside in 34-degree weather. It was really cold, and I was like, why are we outside? I don't know. I still don't know. Um, we were lined up in front of this building, the three chairs and everything, and uh, um, that's just, they wanted it at Selden, so we were at Selden. And then the very next day, um, MUFON had their meeting at the Rotary Building in Dublin, and oh my gosh, it was a media frenzy. There was probably 400 people crammed into that little room. This lady's name, um, if you can see down there, uh, reporters and cameramen all gathered around her. She had a laptop. Her name is Margie Galvez, and she has a footage from a wildlife camera that was positioned on a deer feeder, and she uh, feels she captured an orb and uh, a beam of light that didn't go all the way down to the ground. It looks like it just stops for, for no apparent reason. You can't see anything that would stop it. And about three weeks later, a deer steps to where that beam was. The beam isn't still there and just disappears. This is Ken Cherry, the state director, Texas state director. And uh, he opened the meeting, and he's been very supportive of me, and I've talked with him a lot. Um, he's, he's really tired right now. You know, these guys in MUFON, most of them have day jobs, and uh, it's what they do that, you know, they do after 5 o'clock and on the weekends. 
So this siding has been just immense work for them. Um, they said that their reports started going up in December. The numbers started going up in December. And that's just more of the media that was there. Now, the witnesses um, were asked to go to a little room. Well, first they had to fill out paperwork. And then there was a room on the side, <clears throat> kind of a small room. But they had set up tables, and there was about 10 MUFON investigators there. And uh, I know that they were shocked because uh, when Ken said, let's, uh, let's get all the witnesses over here in this room, about half the room stood up. And then it was apparent, you know, oh, God, these people are not going to fit over here. <laughs> so they started making a line. Well, when they started making the line into the room, these guys with the cameras turned on them. A lot of those people left because they went, oh, now I'm going to be identified as a witness. I don't like this. I don't want to be on television. And they left. Then um, national, international media started coming in. We had a news crew from Japan, but this is one that I talked to from Brazil. This is Steve Allen's office. This is Steve Hudgens, um, second from the left, the lead investigator for Texas MUFON. Now, these guys came over because they had heard about the sighting. And then when they got here, their producer um, was calling saying, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this. We've had a sighting in a sugarcane field. Um, apparently this something had sat down in the sugarcane about 4 in the morning. So they were all excited about that and showing us the video. And at this time, uh, Steve already had the David Caron tape uh, video and they were looking at that also. That same day, Steve told me about David Caron. I left Glen Rose, drove back to Stephenville, and talked to this man. I don't know, you can barely see his little face. That's his grandson there where the uh, post is for the fence. And I'll never forget this little boy, you know, talking about what they had seen. And even though there are people that feel like they've debunked that video, I can't get it out of my mind about that little boy saying it was funny lightning. It was funny lightning. So um, he is actually the one that alerted his grandfather, David. That's him on the far right. And uh, he went in and got the video camera and uh, videoed something for about 14 minutes. Okay, this was the ugly. <laughs> um, a lot of people, even since I've been, just been here since uh, early yesterday morning, they've been asking me, and I guess I'll always get asked, you know, where, did you quit or did you get fired? And uh, I had run into some problems as at the newspaper, the Empire Tribune, about not writing. They didn't want me to write anymore about UFOs. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'm getting 
all these phone calls still, and I'm getting 50, 60 emails a day. What do I do? How do I handle that? And the editor told me to ignore it. So these witnesses, though, had and I had kind of bonded, and they were thrust in the limelight right along with me, and I'd never been there either, but I could at least guide them around some obstacles a little bit. I didn't want to abandon them. I still wanted the next big story. I was still getting lots and lots of uh, citing reports. So what I tried to do was direct that away from work hours, like after 5 or 6 o'clock at night or during my lunchtime. Uh, it got to the point where if the editor walked by my desk, I was afraid if she heard me talking about UFOs. Um, they just wanted me to go back strictly to everyday reporting, and um, they felt the readership had grown tired of the stories. Um, they were complimentary, you know, you've done a great job, but it's over. We're not going to do this anymore. It was very draining to a very small staff. And when I couldn't pull my weight like I usually did with the two front page stories a day, and um, I had one big Sunday page story to do, and two uh, education pages, one for Tarleton State University there, and one for general ed public education that um, I usually pulled the things together for. Well, that meant that other people were having to pick up my slack, and um, I think that probably had something to do with it. I think everybody was tired. Um, it was a record sales month for the Empire Tribune. Um, they sold more papers than they've ever sold in the history of that little paper. And uh, that was with them anticipating large sales and, and adding more to the print order. So um, even the whole time we would still have people come out and say, I've been to three racks and there's no papers in them. Can I get a paper here? So um, the front desk was really busy. Everybody did pull together and help me, but I didn't have a way to let go of it. I was still the media contact, still the witness contact, and um, being told just to ignore these people I didn't think was right. So I gave my notice. And then about a week into my notice, um, I went to work and uh, the editor motioned to me and to come to the publisher's office and they had my computer in there and my Rolodex. And it really didn't seem to matter what I said. They thought what they thought. Um, they didn't like me forwarding those emails to my home computer and all, I was just trying not to spend their newspaper time on, the, on that research. And um, I, I don't know what all they heard. I know I had an interview that day for, with the Dallas Morning News, uh, Jeff Weiss, and he was for, uh, he just wanted an impact story of what's the impact. And uh, I said, I can do it, but it's going to have to be at lunchtime. You can't come to the office. And... Uh, I think maybe they heard that was a job interview. I'm, I'm not certain, you know, what all transpired there. 
But I was given a cardboard box and told to go pack up my things and go. And uh, so I did. It was not a good day, not a pleasant day. That was the ugly. The rest of it's really been pretty good. So people started writing about this. Um, was she fired? Empire Tribune, writer silence, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, Steve Allen called me and said, hey, what's going on? And I told him, and he said, uh, I've already been working on a website. I'm going to kick it up, and you're going to have a place to write. And... Uh, all kinds of, the newspaper got all kinds of uh, phone calls and people supporting me and their website crashed with people getting on their guest book. I guess that was a lot of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> MUFON decided to have another meeting in Dublin, February the 23rd. And that was because of the people that left when the cameras turned on them. They said, oh, you know, we know we lost a lot of sighting reports right there. What can we do? And uh, this is Steve Hudgens with me, the uh, lead investigator for Texas. And they decided to try to get those witnesses back. Um, and no cameras at this meeting. And... Uh, they gathered 17 more reports on that day. I really didn't think we'd have maybe three or four. I was surprised there were 17. Okay, here's my latest employment. Mandatory FM hired me as a news director. It uh, wasn't exactly what I expected. My last day there was Friday. I think they were more interested in radio ad sales than news. So I am not a salesperson. I found myself sitting in my car outside going, oh, what am I going to say when I get in there and how am I going to do this deal and just trying to talk myself to going in to see a business owner about a radio ad. So um, last Friday was my last day there. While I was there, though, the UFO Hunters History Channel came to town to do um, an episode on Stephenville. This man, Bill Burns, came to my, my office at the radio station and uh, spoke with me. And they had really wanted me to be on that program, along with um, Leroy Gaten, Steve Allen, Ricky Sorrells. But we did not do that show, and there's many reasons why we didn't do the show. Um, the biggest reason was it, it didn't feel right. I felt like it was going to be sensationalized too much. Um, I didn't want to put myself or these witnesses in a light that might not be flattering. Um, it did air Wednesday night. I don't know if y'all saw that. Um, they did go down to the park and do this experiment. 
with a big weather balloon and they were supposed to be triangulating three different witnesses sightings but the, the witness sightings weren't even at the same time so I don't know how that worked but it just didn't really make a lot of sense to me but they did do a good job I think interviewing the witnesses you know nobody was really sensationalized then um, not too long after the History Channel left town um, I started hearing about other officers that had seen something so I start trying to find out who those other officers are. I tell you, men in blue are very tight-lipped. Um, finally, I did get word that, okay, this is who he is, and he will talk to you. He has a composite drawing. You just can't use his name. So this is what he, the person that I talked to, plus two other officers saw even right down to that dark green color. Um, one officer, this is January the 8th also, about 7.30 or 7.45. One officer was on duty. One had just gotten off duty and was on his way home. Another one hadn't been at work at all that day. He just happened to be outside in his backyard. So... That first story printed on January the 10th. Well, people started talking about it, and then these guys said, uh, you know, maybe there really is something to this story, because let me tell you, this is what I saw. They're going, I saw it too. So they got together. They all agreed that this is what they saw. It was horizontal at first. The, the light uh, on towers at the top, the red and the white on the bottom, were strobing. And he said that's the only way they could see the outline of it is just in an instant when it would flash or strobe. And it did turn vertical, which is this bottom left, and it added another light, a third light right in the middle. Um, he's told me more than once it's stealthy. He said you can't see it unless you're really looking and at times... Um, it, it can change colors and, and just blend in with whatever it's around. He has seen it once since then, and his 21-year-old daughter just saw it. I think I got word on that three nights ago, but he doesn't want me to talk to her because he's afraid it will lead back to him. Now, this past weekend, um, April 4th through the 7th, a group from Open Minds Forum came to uh, Ricky Sorrells' place. Um, Ricky is desperate for somebody to see what he's seen. He did have one person with him at one sighting. Now, I, I don't think I told you this. Ricky's sightings are usually in the daytime. He's only had one, I believe they're Altogether now, there's five. He doesn't know why this thing keeps coming back to his property. Um, but he's desperate for somebody to see it. So he invited this group down. And uh, they were there for three nights. Um, this is Ricky with a county map. He's talking to Steve Allen. And uh, they're deciding the best locations for these teams to go out to try and see something. So uh, 
Ricky says he'll keep looking for it the rest of his life to find out what it was. So does Steve. I imagine we all will. Now, there are five men working on 2.5 million data bits obtained from the Fort Worth FAA regional office from five radar sites through Freedom of Information Acts um, for January the 8th from 4 until 8 o'clock. I get almost daily emails from them on what they've found, and um, they don't want to be identified yet because they're afraid it might hold them up. This is a huge task for them. Um, to go through this raw data and look at uh, paint skins and all kinds of stuff that I, I had never heard of before. And uh, so usually they email me and I, and I email back, well, what the heck does that mean? And then they put it in something that's a little easier to understand. But um, they said that uh, the FAA has been very forthcoming and uh, they got everything that they, were, they had asked for and they said the data appears to be complete. Um, it's going to take several weeks for them to complete what they're doing with it. Um, they did say that they have confirmed eight jets in the Stephenville, Dublin area on January the 8th from 4 to 8 p.m. There's some question about the other two. Um, I don't know how much longer it's going to take them to get that together, but as soon as they do finish their work, then I'll be writing about it on StephenvilleLights.com. Um, these three men and myself, I think, will keep in touch for the rest of our lives. I think they're very courageous. I think... I think they might have changed the way a lot of people think about unidentified flying objects because they're all down-to-earth, credible people. They were well-known in the community. They um, talked about what they saw without reservation. Um, I, I think they've made a huge, huge difference in uh, how unidentified flying objects are looked at. And that's our website if you ever get a chance to look at it, stevenvillelights.com, and that's where I do my writing now. Thank you. I, I would like to say one more thing. I forgot this. Where's Lou? Lou? Okay. SteveOLice.com official t-shirt has all of the major sightings on the back. And before I go, I do need to do this real quick. Randall, where are you? I can't, I can't see you. Stand up. Stand up. This is my husband, Randall Joyner. He has been my biggest supporter. He has cooked most of the meals, swept most of the floors, and uh, he's been—he's been a great help. Um, ever, sometimes he'll uh, kind of say, "Okay, I'm going to go watch TV for a while, and it's not going to be something sci-fi." 
but he's been great. I appreciate him a lot. Thank you.
Would you be interested in seeing a video of the craft? A live video of it taken over Lake Fort Fatton in Texas, where I'm from, Abilene. Are you saying you have a video? Yes, I do. And I would like to tell you at the time that a message was presented at that time that the craft in the video appeared. And uh, I would like to give that message to you personally, let you review it, and you can go from there wherever you decided to. But it is the reason why the 2008 craft appeared. Okay, thank you. Yes, I would be interested. And we'll talk to you after the. Okay. So, we want to see it. Hey, could you uh, clarify uh, after what you said about uh, you've given your notice? Mm -hmm. uh, you had given your notice, but they just yes. uh, prematurely before you were. Yes. I said, okay, thank you. About a week into my notice, I had given two weeks' notice. Uh -huh. I expected to work it the whole two weeks. The people that I worked with in a small newspaper, if any of you have ever worked in small places, you know them pretty well and you, you, you become friends with them. And the editor and the publisher I considered friends. Um, I don't know what happened that day, what made it so ugly, but it got ugly. And uh, it may be something I really never know the answer to. How are their sales been since you're I don't know because I'm not there to hear the numbers really. I really don't know. Do you think somebody told them to tell you to stop? No, I don't believe that they had any higher directive. Um, I think it was just their news judgment that um, they... Well, that first story, the one that had possible UFO sighting, when the editor looked at her paper at home, she cried when she saw UFO in the headline. Um, she felt like it made us look like a tabloid. She was never a big fan of the stories. Um, the, when the news truck started rolling in at, on a Tuesday after that first story printed on the Thursday, she asked me to cut off the interviews. It was 10.30. That, that morning, she said, no more, cut them off, we got to get on with tomorrow's paper. The publisher... That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.